0: If you would turn to your Bibles, and I don't have this passage typed up here, but uh, Brother Nate, if you can help me out. Uh, if you would get Luke chapter 24, verses 37 through 40 in the New King James Version, please. And thank you. I'm going to read up here. I have, I have the King James Version here, but I actually want to read out of the New King James. So Luke 24 verse 37 so 10 more scriptures 37 there you go thank you brother and 40 i was like i don't know if god spoke to you a different word but not me yet but so i'll catch up to you if we get back over there and it says but they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit next scripture it says and he said to them it's Jesus speaking, why are you troubled and why do why do doubt arise in your hearts? Verse 39, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Verse 40, when he had sa- said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Bishop, would you please pray over the word of God? The name of his own. Thank you, sir. Sorry. Right. Had to stop laughing I'm Sorry. In the name of Jesus. Lord, your presence is already manifest in this place. Your anointing is resting upon your man's servant. God, I'm asking, God, you will continue to know him to speak the counsel of your will. God, let your word fall on good ground in this place. Let it come forth in power, demonstration, and manifestation. God, I take authority over any hindrance or any distractions. And I'm asking, God, at your command, allow your angels to minister in this place. We give you the honor, the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you put your hands together for God as you're being seated. Thank you, Lord, for being in this house, God. Thank you for everything that you're doing. There's. uh, If you go ahead and turn to John chapter 20, this is the same thing that we just read. It's just John's account here. John 20, 17 through 20 here. It says, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Verse 19 says, Then the same day at evening, Being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. Now, verse 20 is very important. It says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Luke says that he showed his hands And his feet. This one says he showed his hands and his side. It says, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The title I will give this message today is simply, Don't be ashamed of your scars. Don't be ashamed of your scars. What happened here? I'll give you a little background here. Jesus was already, he was already betrayed by Judas. He was already taken up. They've already put a crown of thorns on his head. They've already whipped him. They've already beat him. It says in the scriptures that they hit him with their hands. When I read that, it hurt me so bad because I'm like, who who, who would want to strike Jesus? Who would want to physically show him harm? And then it talks about how they whipped him. And it talks about the suffering that he went through all the way to the cross. And it talks about how they nailed him to the cross. And everything that he endured wasn't for himself. Everything that he went through, all the pain, all the mockery, all the shame, all the suffering was for us. For you and for me. And so he goes through all of that. And he's there. And you go back and you read Mark 9 and 31 when he was talking to the disciples. And I'm just going to reference the the scripture. You can go back and read it later on. But he lets them know that he's going to be betrayed. He lets them know that he's going to be killed. But he also lets them know that on the third day he would rise again. That on the third day, death could not hold him no more. That on the third day, what man had done to him could not hold him in the grave because there was a purpose, you and I, that was worth more than him just being dead. We don't serve a dead God. We don't serve a God who is buried and stuck in dirt. No, death could not hold him. When he knew that there was a purpose and there was a plan, that he was there, there was no nail on a cross that could hold his hands forever. There was no grave that can keep him down. So in this scripture, Mary Magdalene comes there. She goes to the tomb where Jesus was put at. And all of a sudden she's there and the stone is rolled away. And his body is there no more. And she's like, where is his body at? What have they done with the body of Jesus? Why? Because she had a relationship with him, knowing his deliverance power, because she was possessed with seven spirits, and God delivered her. He knew the power that he had. She knew the deliverance that Jesus possessed. And all of a sudden, the Jesus that she was there and she served, all of a sudden his body was gone. Every story that the disciples had heard, all of a sudden there's fear that grips their heart because this Jesus that they once sat at his feet at and listened to him is now gone. So you think about the hope that is there in the natural all of a sudden being snatched right before your eyes. The person that you're there, that you left your father and mother for to go follow, all of a sudden, they look at the natural and see the natural being crucified, and they say, what happened? I thought we had a plan. I, I, thought, I, I thought there was more to this, and all of a sudden, he's crucified. as a story in here, and Jesus let them know ahead of time, oh no, it doesn't stop here. This is just the beginning of my story because I'm here and the apostles at this time when he's speaking, he's coming back because he's about to send them out. He's about to have them fulfill what he's been preaching and teaching about the whole time, but they had to believe who he was. But in order for them to believe who he was because they seen him crucified. When he appeared in a glorified body, it said that he was flesh and he was bone. There was no blood because it was contaminated. Blood is contaminated. It's dirty. But you see in the scriptures when you read it, he's walking through doors. He's appearing here. He's appearing there. He was on the earth for 40 days when he came back. And he's getting them prepared to go out and commission them to go out and be apostles. To go preach and teach the word. So he comes back, and what is the thing that that he shows them? He shows them his hands and his feet. Why? Because there's scars that were there from the nails. In my mind, I'm there. I said, God, if I came back in a glorified body, wouldn't I want to be perfect? Wouldn't I want whatever scars that I have in the natural to be healed? Why did he come back? In a glorified body, and had scars on his hands and scars on his feet to validate who he was. Because just like you and I, when we come into the house of God and we're first saved, there's a lot of scars we have in our life there's a lot of things that we've been through in our life, but it's the scars who identify who we are. It is the scars that we are, and we can say, oh, I remember that, but God got me through. I remember this one is a little bit worse than this one, but God see me through. (laughs) So you can think to yourself that, man, why would God come back with a defect? Why would he come back with a scar? He could be perfect. His skin can be just like a baby's skin. But he chose to keep the scars because they were a reminder of what he'd been through. They were a reminder of everything that he suffered for the disciples. It was everything that he was saying, hey, if you follow me, you've got to be willing to go through what I've been through. So what happens is, is sometimes the devil will make you start to think that when you come into the house of God, that God can't use you because you have too many defects. Because there's too many scars that you have in your life. How's God going to use me the way they, they use this person and that person, that person? They don't have the scars that I have. They don't have the past that I have. So what happens all of a sudden, instead of the scars being our glory, all of a sudden they're our defect. All of a sudden they're there and they disqualify us from being what God wants us to be because... Their defect, and God is saying, "No, no, that is your glory. That is the that is the every scar that you have tells a story. Every scar that you have either is physical or it's, it's emotional, there's a story behind it. I'm telling you, I don't know who you are." God has spoke to me on Friday specifically. I don't know if you're watching or if you're here. And you have disqualified yourself as being dysfunctional and being a defect. And God said, if you would just let me heal you. If you'll just give me all your hurts. If you'll give me all your pains. If you'll let me turn your scars and your defects into my glory. I will use you more than you ever thought you'd be used before. Those scars make you who you are. They let you be thankful for the times that there's healing in your body. There's, there's times we're all wounded. There's times, and you know what? Sometimes it's the closest people that wound us the deepest. It's the ones we trust the most that we don't even see it come that just slices and dice us. Because we're not guarded like we usually are. But there was a purpose why he came back in a glorified body. Because the mission wasn't over. The story wasn't coming to an ending. He was there. There was preparation that had to be made. There were the apostles that were, he was getting ready to commission to go out. But he first had to prove who he was. And he proved it by showing the scars that he had. The devil can try to disqualify you all he wants. But sometimes we got to remember him about the scars that we have. About the times that God has delivered us when he said no one could deliver us. The times that he pulled us out of the muck and the mire. When the devil told us that we'd always be that way. The times that he was there and he sanctified us. When the devil was there saying we'll always be no good. We'll always be a defect. And God is saying, no, I need you to show my glory. I need you to show my salvation and my power because there's going to be a day that you're going to witness to somebody who has the same scar that thought it was a defect and you're going to let them know, no, this is for the glory of God. This is for the continuation of his kingdom. This represents the forgiveness of God. We look, you know, my, my daughter, when she was two years old, I, I've told this story before, but for those who don't know it, I, I'll tell the story again. We used to drop her off at daycare. She was two years old, and uh, I, I went to change her shirt and put some, some clothes on her, and on her wrist, she had a big old lump on her wrist. And every time i I try to move her wrist to put her shirt on, wherever she was, she would just go, how, how would she cry? And I was like, what's wrong? You know, did she fall on it or it was all swollen everything else? So we didn't know. So we, we prayed and we put ice on it. We did all the things that in case she had sprained it or whatever. And it, they didn't do nothing. It didn't get no better. And so all of a sudden we're there and they're, they say, well, you need to go to, to this this person and this person and this specialist and that specialist. So we end up in the hospital. And we're there, I believe, for four days and they called her a medical mystery. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. And so they're like, well, we have to do surgery. We have to go in there. We have to investigate. The only way we can do that is if we cut her her hand and we go in there and we look and we see and we swab and we do all these tests. And for four days... They were there poking and prodding and taking blood. And all of a sudden, they forgot to to take this sample, that sample. So they had to poke her and prod her again. And every time they came in, she was hiding from the nurses. And, 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 you know, as a parent, you're very protective over your children. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, we should have done this last time. But we forgot, oops, we're going to have to do it again. And you're like, no, you're not. And mom was like, over my dead body. And she's serious about it. She she's, she'll claw him and everything else. And I <laughs> and I, I remember, I remember when it's your child, you're very protective of who pokes and prods and and, and is there, inflicting pain on your child because that's your child. And I remember being so frustrated. I said, God, why do they keep forgetting these things? I don't have the knowledge to tell them what tests to do and not to do, and I was so frustrated that they had to keep coming in and doing that. And seeing the reaction of my daughter every time they had came in, so I remember uh, we had told Bishop, and I I, I believe his brother Shelton, who was here the evangelist uh, at that time, and they they took time to go down to the the hospital where she was at uh, because they kept just kept referring from specialist to specialist, and you know when you're in the hospital it's it's not a free stay. So uh, you're paying for days that you're in the hospital and specialist after specialist and test after test, you know, it, it's it's not a charity. So you're there and you're like, find out what it is and let's get this done. And finally they brought in a different specialist and they had identified it as juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. And I didn't even know that was impossible for kids or anything like that. And so I, I you know, going uh, through that and then being diagnosed with that, as a parent, you're helpless. You're there, and you don't want your child to suffer. You don't want to see them go through anything. And I, I remember they were there, and all of a sudden, they started pumping her full of steroids and all kinds of things and, and everything for years and years and years, and we went through it and stuff, and I we prayed, and we, we, we asked God to heal her, and finally God had healed her years and years after he had healed her. But I remember her being as a little child and having that scar on her hand. And I remember her saying, Daddy, I don't like that scar. No one else has that scar on their hand. And she would try to hide it and she would go, It looks so ugly. And but I remember when she was healed and I told her, I said, I said, baby, I said, that that's not that, that's not ugly. That's beautiful. That scar is a scar of beauty. Why? Because it will let you know the rest of your life that God healed your body. That you have a testimony to tell somebody else when they see that physical scar on your body. This is a scar. It might be ugly in the natural, but in the spiritual, my God healed my body. It was for her glory, it was for her testimony. And I remember, I remember how it hurt me because I was like, man, you know, you don't want them to go through anything. But then you prepare them just in case someone tries to make fun of them or someone, you know, they're just mean people that are out there. And, but I mean, my daughter, she can handle her own self. She, she's she got that little switch where she's the nicest thing. Amen, right? <laughs> my wife's say, Amen. <laughs> She is the nicest thing, and she loves everybody, but there's a few people who can hit that switch, and then it's the crazy button. And you're there. You have to talk her, talk her down from putting a whooping on somebody. And, uh, you know, but I, I look at that, and I say, God, even though it hurt me in the natural, I said, in the spirit, God, you gave her something that the devil can never take away from her. The devil could never go in there and steal your glory because when the doctor came back and the doctor was like, you don't ever have to come back and see us again, God, that she was healed, we go, oh, we know why she's healed. We know how she's healed because it's the mighty power of God that his healing virtue went through her body and what the doctor said she'd have for the rest of her life. Instantly, God had healed her. I'm telling you, you don't have to live with some of the things that you're living with now. Some of the scars that the devil said that you would be there forever. You don't have to live with them. You don't have to live through torment. You don't have to live in sin. You don't have to live in a place where you're never wanted to live. You're never supposed to live at anyways. Today, God had told me when I was getting ready for this message, God said, There's gonna be a lot of people that day that is gonna be healed. He's gonna heal you physically. He's going to heal you mentally. He's going to heal you emotionally. God said if you will give it to him, he will take what people say is ugly and the natural and he'll make it for his glory. I'm telling you, you, might have came in one way. But God said if you're willing to trust him, if you're willing to give him everything and say, God, I don't care how big a sin it is, I don't care how ugly the scar is. He don't care. He just wants you to bring it to him today. He said he'll fill you with the Holy Ghost. You go down in water in Jesus' name, and you'll never be the same again. There is freedom when you know who God is. There is freedom when you give what you have to God. I said, today is your day of freedom. I'm telling you, when I walked in this place this morning, God was already here in prayer. God said the waters are already stirred up. They don't have to be the first. They don't have to be the last. God said if they will just come, I will heal their body. I don't care if it's diabetes. I don't care if it's cancer. I don't care what it is. I'm not the one healing you. God said if you will bring whatever you have, he will heal your body. You look at Everybody who was gratefully used of God had went through something. If you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 30. 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 30. And for time's sake, I'm going to start reading. It says, "From this is Paul speaking here. It says, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes Minus one, that was 195 lashes that Paul received. There, 40 lashes was the maximum amount of lashes that someone could get. So they always stopped by one so they wouldn't defile the commandment that was there. Verse 25 says... Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep in journeys often. In perils of water. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles. In perils in the cities. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the seas. In perils among false brethren. Verse 27 says, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often in hunger and thirst and fasting often in cold and nakedness verse 28 says this and I read this scripture here and it kind of slapped me upside the face it said besides the other things what come among me daily and what is it comes among him daily my deep concern for the churches even though he was going through everything being beaten having to go through turmoil, everything that he suffered for God, every time he went through something on a daily basis, he was still worried about the church. Wasn't concerned about himself. Still wanted to make sure the church people were seeking after God. Wanted to make sure lined up and everything was in order. Didn't matter about the, the physical scars that he had didn't matter about everything that he physically been through. It was in the spiritual that he was worried about. It was the things of God that were on his mind on a daily basis. It was the church that was on his mind. It says, who is weak and I am not weak. He you said, I'm weak too. But God gave him strength. It said, who is made to stumble and, and do not burn with indignation. Verse 30 says, if I must boast. I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. He's. I'm not going to take any glory for myself. All glory goes to God. Everything that I've been through, the endurance that I have to make it through this and that, and everything that I've been through comes through the glory of God, not through me. The strength When you look at physical scars, I I, I went on Google because I, I, I'm not a doctor like Pastor Ruth and Pastor Trini. So I would just maybe making up stuff if I uh, tell you what I thought about scars, about wounds and stuff like that. So I, I went to Medline Plus. It is a website. And on there, it has, you know, about wounds and, 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 and having a wound and it turning to a scar. And I wanted to know the process. I want to know the process. So it said the smaller the wound, of course, the quicker the healing process. The longer the wound, the larger the wound, sorry, the deeper the wound, the longer it takes to heal, and that's that's very true. There are things that might just skim us, and all of a sudden we're fine. It doesn't affect our walk with God at all. But it, it's those things that hit us, and all of a sudden it stopped us in our tracks. And all of a sudden it takes us a little bit longer to get over, to get over those things and to heal. It says the blood will start to clot within a few minutes, or less to stop the bleeding. The blood clots dry and form a scab, which protects the tissue underneath from from germs. Once the scab forms, your body's immune system starts to protect the wound from infection. The wound becomes slightly swollen, red, pink, and tender. You also may see some clear fluid oozing from the wound. This fluid helps clean the area, so your body is naturally healing itself. The blood vessels open in the area so blood can bring oxygen and nutrients to the wound. Oxygen is essential for healing. The white blood cells help fight infection from germs and begin to repair the wound. Now, this stage takes two to five days. So for it to actually start to cover up, to get the ooze, to get the scab, is two to five days, depending on how big the wound is. Now, the tissue growth and rebuilding occurs next. Over the next three weeks or so, the body repairs broken blood vessels. New tissue grows. Red blood cells help create collagen, which are tough white fibers that form a foundation of new tissue. So all of a sudden, new tissue starts to grow. The wound starts to fill in with new tissue called granulation tissue. New skin begins to form over this tissue as the wound heals. The edges pull inward and the wound gets smaller. Now check this out. The scar forms and the wound becomes stronger. So here it says, as healing continues, you may notice that the area starts to itch. After the scab falls off, the area will look stretched, red, or even a little shiny. The scar that forms will be smaller than the original wound. It will be less strong and less flexible than the surrounding skin. Now check this out. Over time, the scar will fade and may disappear completely. May disappear completely. It doesn't say it will. This can take as long as two years. Some scars never go away completely. Now check this out. Scars form because the new tissue grows back differently than the original tissue. If you, if you only injure the top layer of skin, you will probably not have a scar. With deeper wounds, you are mo- more likely to have a scar. But it says when you're injured and and you you have that that wound that is there, it says the new tissue that grows is different than the original tissue that was there. The thing is, is when we're hurt by somebody, we're a lot different than what we used to be when someone tries to hurt us the next time. There's a newness, there's an awareness that is there that if you try to wound me the same way someone else did, there's protection that's there already because I've already fought off that. And the thing is, is sometimes, you, you know, you, you, you hear the saying, suck it up, buttercup, because you just want someone to move on with the wound, and you want someone to just be healed instantly. But when there's a deep wound, and it's in the spirit, and it's emotional, and all of a sudden it's been something from a different church, a different family member, a, a different brother or sister, those wounds are deep, and it takes time to heal, just like the natural. When it could take up to two years for a natural wound to turn to a scar, sometimes there's timing that happens in in the spiritual also, because there's the wound is deep, and God is there, and the healing process has begun. No, we can't see it, but when when we're talking about the influx and we talk about the ones who are coming, there's those those who are churched, who are unchurched, those who are hurt. Those who know God, don't know God. Those who have been hurt in the past, they are backsliders that will be coming. There's all kinds of people who are coming. And when they come, they're going to have all kinds of wounds, all kinds of scrapes, all kinds of scars, everything that they're coming through here in this church. But God said that this would be a place where they'd heal. This would be a place where God would mend them. This would be a place where God can be and give them a chance to rest. Their weary bodies. Why? Because they've been scarred before. Why? Because they've been through things and they've been wounded deeply. And God says, no, no, they can rest among my people. But in order for them to rest among the people, we can't be wounded just like them. There has to be a healing that takes place so that the body here is healthy. When the ones that come in that need help and that need to be with uh, help with the wound that they have and you see a scar on them, you know how to tend to them because you went through the healing process also. There are times we bicker and complain because of things that we went through, not knowing that it created that that's the thing that created our ministry. That is the thing that launched us into the direction that God wanted us to go and the purpose that we have in our life. We are there, we get injured and we get hurt and we're oh God, why did we go through this? And it's not till later on down the line that you're there and God will put someone who is wounded the exact same way and God will say minister to them. And you're like, I'm, I'm ready. God. I, I can minister to them because I've been wounded the way that they've been wounded. I can help change the bandage. I can be there and be support. I can be there in prayer and lift them up and say, hey, you'll make it because I made it also. I'm telling you today, there may be things that you've been wounded for for years and years and years and years. And you're, 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 you're so hesitant. to to lay that before God because all of a sudden you're exposed. All of a sudden, the thing that you don't want no one to know about, and we won't know nothing. God is the only one who knows anything anyways. You're going to have to expose that wound and say, God is still not healed. God, I need you to heal me today, and I'm telling you, whatever it is emotionally, if you have something physical in your body, I'm telling you, this is your day. This is your day, I'm telling you. If you have something in your physical body today, that you've had for years and years and years, God has spoke to me. He said, I have to have a healthy body. And the ones that will move, I will heal. And the ones that don't will always stay in that infirmity. So I'm not going to push and prime you when it comes to to altar call. But I'm just telling you, if the waters are already troubled, I wouldn't miss my chance. I wouldn't make excuses. I wouldn't sit there and have a bandage on a wound that seems to never heal. I wouldn't be there and say, God, I trust you, but only up to my pew. God, I want to step out by faith. I want to be made whole again. God, I want you to take this wound and make it a scar so that you will get the glory. You know, um, the prophetess hit on this this morning. I'm sorry, I don't know where I am time-wise, but I'll be mindful of your time from here. I won't be that long, just an hour or two. We're good. I'm just kidding, I'm almost done. Um, But this passage of scripture here, the prophetess hit it. Uh, If you go ahead and and just go to John chapter 4, talking about the Samaritan woman. Uh, I, I I printed out the whole the whole chapter here, and I'll, I'll breeze through it. I'm not going to take too long on it. There's just a few things I wanted to point out on here. I'll I'll kind of paraphrase some of it, and you just follow along as best you can in your Bible. Um, so we know that. Well, I'll just start verse one, and then I'll, I'll skip around. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. We know that's not the normal route that he would take or anybody else would take uh, because they really didn't have much doing with those, the, the Samaritan people. And they would take a different route. But there was something, the reason why that Jesus said, no, I need to go through there because there was a woman that was there uh, that had scars in her life. There were things that she was dealing with that no one in the physical could see. But in the the spiritual, God knew that he would use her one day to start a revival in Samaria. And so there was a need that was there. God knew it already. So instead of him going one direction, he goes through Samaria. And I'm telling you, God had told me before that when the waters were stirred here, he said, I'm already there. When you step foot in that house, I'm already there already. So the need he knew was here already. He's here already, just like this woman at the well while she's sitting there and she has emotional needs and she has uh, uh, scars that are emotional. God knows everything that you've been through. We don't have to know anything as long as God knows what it is. He can heal that, that scar. So she's there, and it says that she came about the sixth hour to draw water, which is about noontime. It was the hottest part of the day, and she was by herself. In those days, the women would come in pairs. They would come grouped together in the cool of the day, and they would draw water. So we know that she wasn't part of just the common crowd. She wasn't part of the the, the, the social group that was there. Uh, she was kind of an outcast. She went uh, at the hard, hottest part of the day. Uh, you don't know if she was mocked. You don't know what, what the reason was, but it was she was not. Uh, there are visibly on purpose. There was a reason why she went by herself. There was a reason why she went during the hottest part of the day rather than the cool of the day. It says in verse 9, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you being a Jew ask me to drink? Jesus is there. He says, Hey, give me some water. She's like, Why are you asking me for and it says, uh, for Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me to drink, you would have asked him and he, he would have given you living water. Uh, verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep where do you get uh, where do you uh, do to get the water living water verse 12 says are you greater than the father jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of living of water springing up in everlasting life. We know uh, that's talking about the Holy Ghost. Now check this out in verse 13. It says, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst. But check this out. Nor come here to draw. There was something that she was tired of. You go through, sometimes you go through life and it's just a routine. You live with those scars. You, you live with the wounds. And life just becomes a routine. You wake up. You go to work. You go, you're there. You're bandaged up. Uh, you, you come to church, lift your hands, go home, and you do the same thing over and over and over and over and over. Same wound. Same scars. And you just, it's just a routine. And so you can tell by the way she's speaking to Jesus. I'm sick of my life. I'm sick of doing the same thing over and over. This living water that you tell me, give it to me. So I don't have to come here and draw all the time. I don't have to be here in secret when everybody else comes in the daytime. And I'm over here sweating myself to death. over here getting dehydrated because I don't want the people to see me because I'm ashamed of something. So Jesus is there and he's like, oh, you want to get smart? Go call your husband and come here. The woman says, answers and says, I have no husband. Jesus says to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. Mic drop. And the one whom you now have is not your husband in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship in the mountains, and the Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship What you do not know, we know that we worship for salvation as of the Jews, but the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit. And in truth, there is a Holy Ghost that you'll have to be filled with. There is a truth, there is a spoken word that that you have to line up with and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for salvation. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And look at his response. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. What you've been looking for is right here in front of you. The deliverance that you wanted is right here speaking to you saying what you have thirst for I can quench this day. I'm telling you what you are thirsting for what you are looking for what you are there asking God for he is here today to meet that need. It is him that can fulfill every void that you have in your life every wound that you have it is him that can heal it if you are here and you're tired of going through the same cycle of life I'm telling you God God said that you must worship him in spirit and in truth. There's a deliverance that God wants to make today. God is wanting to free some people God is wanting you to to to, He's wanting to break the the chains and the shackles that you've been carrying around. The thing is this world will have you thirst for one thing and you'll keep going back over and over and over because it will never quench what you're thirsty for but I'm telling you today if you want to know just like the disciples that if He is real, I'm telling you Jesus is here today and He has His hands and His feet and He's saying hey, if you come to me and you fill me, you'll never be the same when you turn around, because I, <laughs> I will fill you with the Holy Ghost, and you'll be baptized in Jesus' name, and every sin that you have will be washed away forever. So during all this going on, the disciples were sent out. They went to, to go get meat in the physical So once Jesus tells her all of this in verse 28, it says, the woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. So uh, in the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. They brought meat back. But check out Jesus' response. It says, but he said to them, I have food to eat Of which you do not know. They were were speaking of the physical. But while he's ministering to the Samaritan woman, he's being fed in the spirit because he's doing the will of his father. He's preparing her for salvation. He's delivering her from things that she's had in her life for years and years and years that she's never been delivered for. So them in the natural being full with physical food would fill them up. But Jesus in the spiritual said, hey, I have food that I'm eating that you don't even know of. The disciples said, therefore, saith one to another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Why is he talking like this? It's like he's already full already. But how is he full if he didn't eat in the natural? And Jesus said to them, my food, my meat, it says, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say that there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps, receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and who reaps may rejoice together. Verse 37, for in this the saying is true, one sows, the other reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. Uh, verse 39, it says, and the, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him. Why? Because she went out and told him who he was and what he had done. Because of the word of the woman who testified. What happened to if he never went by there? What if he just went, went the regular way that he would always go? But there was a need. He said, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this indeed, the Christ, the Savior of the world. He was there, and not only did he go to meet her need, her, him meeting her need led to other Samaritans being saved also. So the meat that he was worried about was spiritual meat. When you come into the house here, it's spiritual meat that you're being fed. You're, you're being fed USDA by quality beef when you come inside here. Why? Because it has to last you. Because what happens in those times when people are so worried about the natural, the disciples are so worried about the natural food. When Jesus was there, he says, hey, I have to be about my father's business in order for me to fulfill what I need to do. I need to I need that spiritual meat that I'm eating here. Why? Because it was saving somebody from what they were tormented by for years and years and years. There was a little sacrifice that was there. He could have ate in the natural and then all of a sudden continue what he was doing. But no, the purpose was, was it was more purposeful for him to do it in the spiritual and take care of the knee that was before him now. And I'm telling you, I, 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 if you go ahead and stand, I, I'm, I'm coming too close. I, I'm telling you, it, it is not to embarrass nobody. If, if, I don't know who's playing the piano. I do it myself, but I play all kinds of notes at the same time. Um, if you would please come, whoever it is. Go ahead, Bishop. Hold on. We are in the spirit. We get some meat, some spiritual meat, right here on the piano. Bishop, he don't want to show off. He he taught Pastor Ruth everything she knows. <laughs> um, but I'm telling you, when, when God has spoke to me, when I was there studying on Friday, my my wife had went out for a few hours, and the kids had came to youth, and when I was going over i praying about this service. God would arrest me at times and I would just weep over the message. I would just weep over what God was speaking to me. And I'd be like, God, will you really do that, God? Will you really heal them? God, will you really turn that wound into a scar that you get the glory, God? The thing that they've been battling with for years and years and years, God, will you get the glory? Will you really do that? God, in the physical, because in the natural, we look at diagnosis and we're like, well, the doctors would say this and that and everything. And God said, ain't I the great physician? I said, yes, you are. He said, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll heal their bodies. I'll heal their mind. I'll heal their wounded spirit. (coughs) He said, whatever they need, I am he who can do it. It don't matter years and years if you've ever been wounded by a brother, a sister, a pastor. I don't care who it is. You are at a place and you are under a shepherd who is not like that. He is a good shepherd. He will help mend you. He will take care of you. He will direct you in a safe area. And if God tells him when it's time to go ahead and unbandage you and let you go to wherever God has for you, he would speak to the man of God and he'll willfully let you go. If you're here just to heal. If there's anything that you have in your body, I'm telling you, the waters have been stirred this whole time. You can see through the freeness of of just the the first service that was here. If there was a hindrance, uh, Sister Massey blocked it, knocked everything, cleared every hedge that was there. There's a freedom right now. There's a liberty right now. If there's a wound that somehow has never healed, let it turn to a scar that you can reflect back at it and say, God, you get the glory for this. Lord, you healed me when no one else can heal me. If there's sin in your life, you don't have to tell nobody here. You just pray to God and say, God, I don't want to be like this no more. God, I want to be made whole. God, I don't want to go through the routines of life. God, I want you to make me whole again, God. Church, if we lift our voice, we begin to speak in tongues as God leads you. <speaking in Spanish>